This is Annie Irish, the host of Cunt Talk, and Cunt Talkers are getting a two-for-one this week. Uh, today I'm interviewing Vanessa Young, who is the research program manager for newborn medicine at Boston Children's Hospital. She's worked at Boston for almost eight years now. Prior to moving to the United States, Vanessa worked at the NICU at the Royal Victoria Infirmary in Newcastle in the United Kingdom. And full disclosure, punk talkers. I've known Vanessa for five years yeah, now about, yeah. uh, through a mutual friend in Boston mm-hmm. and we in honor of the UK we are <laughs> drinking famous cups today. Yes we are. <laughs> um, cheers. Cheers. Welcome, welcome to Cunt Talk. <laughs> Thank you very much Annie. Um, so how did you decide to get into nursing? Um, I suppose it was something I always thought about when I was a kid. It was you know nursing very much a prevalent profession in the UK but um, actually it was my uh, nana dying basically in hospital and my granddad and just being in the hospital environment when they both died and it was you know seeing how the nurses work and it really had an impact on me and I decided that was what I wanted to do and I wanted to care for people. That's inspiring. Thank you. Do you have other family members that work in the medical profession? I don't. I Interesting. One, yeah. I've always wondered this about people. This is not one of my prepared questions, mm-hmm. but the difference between medicine in the UK, medicine here, it seems that the UK is better facilities and just better overall healthcare, the healthcare system. Um, what's, it's the, what is it, the H... NHS, National Health Service. I always think of like the NSA. (laughs) Completely different. No, I know, I know, but because of the acronym. um, Would you? Because you've worked in both. Yeah. How? How would you characterize it? Yeah, it was a bit of a culture shock when I did move over here because uh, obviously I worked in um, socialized healthcare, so everything was free. Um, yeah. on the National Health Service. I mean, you did have to pay for prescriptions, but you had set prescription charges. And so one item you paid a set charge for on a prescription, you could pay maybe, it's probably around about $14, $15 now that you would pay per item that you needed on a prescription in the UK. Whereas here, you pay for the cost of the drug. Right, so, so if you get a genetic prescription, or not genetic, a generic, generic. it's... it's yeah. uh, Less expensive than getting name brands, yes. and there, that doesn't exist in the UK because there's no, there's no, no. It's it's basically no you can get both generic or you can get the named brand drugs, and it's a standard charge. But there's so many perks. Your birth control is automatically free. Right. Um, if you have a pre-existing condition such as or a life-threatening condition such as um, diabetes, um, like hypothyroidism, if your thyroid gland is over or under functioning. Um, if you have something like epilepsy as well, which you depend on medication to basically to function, that's actually covered on the NHS, so you don't have to pay for your prescriptions as well. So there's a lot of um, facilities available for people um, in order for them to live healthily. Um, over here, I was very shocked at the insurance companies and how they charge and how they bill for everything um is it necessarily better in the uk it's it's it's, so from my perspective (laughs) it's i mean i'm very very protective of the nhs because obviously I, i trained on it and um it's very near and dear to my heart and i do think that there is no other 
institution like it. And the NHS, it is an institution in the UK. And it's under threat at the minute just from the current you know, government that's in, but I won't go too much into that. But they're looking at privatising, I think, ultimately, and trying to make it more like the American healthcare right. system where everyone has to have insurance. And one of the deficits with the NHS is because it's so abused sometimes because it is free and people do sometimes abuse that service that it can have a knock-on effect and you can have longer waiting lists for things like routine surgeries um, if they're not deemed urgent. What do you mean people abusing it? Well just you know they'll turn up at emergency departments when they've got a cold and it's like you've got a cold you can go to your PCP. You know you do not need to come to the ER to, to have that and it overloads the things and there's a lot of short staffing and you know the the hospital staff are not well appreciated I think by the government and nurses I know for a fact over there I don't think they've even had a period I mean I've been in the US 10 years now and I don't think the nurses have even had a fraction of a period in the 10 years that I've been here they maybe had a two percent period and that's that's it in my salary over 10 years so their salaries aren't commensurate with the you know the the cost of living so it's very undervalued there's a lot of strain put onto the system because of that um and i think it's as well they're trying to change how the funding is given for student nurses now so i think they're not doing anything to attract more nurses to the workforce and there's been a big um strike action with the junior doctors lately sounds like you're describing a a shortage of nurses in the uk which seems to be the opposite of the way that nurse there there always seems to be a demand for nurses and it's the way it's advertised in the u.s it is it's very it's very much more advertised in the u.s in that very um i mean don't get me wrong it is a very very well respected profession in the uk nursing um in the general public you know it it is both the doctors and the nurses in the UK are very well respected amongst the public, but sometimes it isn't always reflected in the government that's ruling the health services at the time. Um, over here, it's it's like you know that you can say there's good and bad with both, but definitely the the privatisation in the insurance companies was the hardest thing I had to deal with um, coming here. Uh, when I first moved here, I lived in um, Tucson in Arizona in a, uh, a NICU, and uh, the babies are the same. You know, the care is pretty much the same, but normally in the UK, you could think, well, you know, that baby needs a feeding tube. I'll put a feeding tube down. And say, oh, well, no, you need an order for that because obviously, change bill and everything. Yeah. So it's learning different ways to be autonomous. Um, but I love the US. I mean, I've, I've worked in the US now since I was qualified, probably as long as what I did for the National Health Service. So I've got like equal years in, uh, so in both countries. worked as a nurse over there for eight years before? Ten. Ten, ten years, yeah. Here. yeah. Actually, um, no, eleven. With eleven years, so I'm a year behind over here. But, so uh, what does your current position entail being the research program manager for newborn medicine? Well, I just um, took that position in February, but I've been a research manager in another department in the uh, at Children's. Um, and at the moment, they have a lot of strong research going on, but they have no oversight. So I've been tasked with setting up kind of like the infrastructure for the research program 
for the Division of Newborn Medicine. So that's what I'm doing at the moment. So is streamlining the research? Yeah, yeah. And just streamlining the staff, just making sure that all the regulatory oversight that needs to be in place is in place. Um, but I do the groundwork as well. So I approach families and I consent them for various studies as well that uh, we're working on at the moment. And you do do shifts with babies? I do still do shift with babies. I uh, at another hospital at uh, Beth Israel in uh, Boston. I uh, do the odd clinical shift um, a oh, couple so of times a month to keep my hand in. So you, they, how come you don't do your shifts at Children's? Um, just basically because um, I didn't know the NICU staff when I worked oh. uh, in my other department in Children's, and we were actually doing a study over at the PI in my old department, and. Um, we were recruiting babies from the NICU over there, and it's, it's a fantastic NICU at the BI, and uh, children's NICU is phenomenal as well. But the shift system works better for me at the BI as well, especially with me working full-time right. at children's. And you're it's right around the corner. It's exactly. So it's, it's, right yeah, there. I literally come out one door, cross the street, and I'm into another building, and, and that's it. So it's good. I actually, my nephew was born premature 11 years ago, and he was at Beth Israel. Um, he was born... We spoke about this yeah. before mm-hmm. we went on air, but um, yeah. <laughs> he was born at 32 weeks, okay. I think. We were talking mm-hmm. about this, how there's different levels of severity as being a premature baby. Yeah. So now with women having babies older and older mm-hmm. and things like in vitro fertilization, um, what have been some of the causes you've seen firsthand with babies being born premature? Yeah. Well, the one thing that's still, you know, prevalent amongst that, and there's a lot of research going into it, is still no one knows the true exact cause of prematurity. They can, obviously, there's a lot of things which might give you a greater predisposition to having a baby prematurely, but there's still no concrete cause um, for it. And um, multiple births is definitely one contributing factor so twins triplets and obviously you know same twins and octomom thankfully I've never looked after our, our those. mothers born with five babies that's not that common I feel like you no, hear about that on the news not, I think there have been a couple of natural twins uh, really? like quintuplets um but like maybe two sets normally it's, it's very very rare that that would happen and usually it's the result of IVF or um, medication which stimulates your, you know, your egg production. Um, if you, how often, or how big are the babies that are born typically in those kinds of cases? Um, like, obviously the multiples, it, it depends on what gestation they're born at, and it also depends how many multiples, uh, there, how many babies are in that multiple pregnancy. Um, so like the mother who has five babies, would they just be across the board like three pounds? Or um, or not necessarily. I mean, that would be a good estimation, but again, it depends on what gestation they're born at, um, and it also depends on a number of factors. Like you know, what, how has the pregnancy progressed? Right. Has the mother had no complications? Because sometimes, complications in pregnancy can actually lead to babies. You know, some babies are born um, growth restricted um, because there could have been you know. It's what we call placental insufficiency, which is not enough growth nutrients getting to the baby sometimes that they need. Um, so that can have an impact too. But um, one of the other things that can um, lead to it um, is things like you can have medical conditions like diabetes. You could have high blood pressure. That's another thing that can lead to prematurity. 
sometimes if you have any um, vaginal cervical infections which can get into the amniotic fluid that can lead to it um, but no one truly knows knows the cause have you done any work or just sort of know babies that are born premature do most kids end up you know my my nephew is happy and healthy now, mm-hmm. but sometimes complications from birth, yeah. any more long-term effects in, in instances where kids haven't had, you know, severe, they're able to, you know, leave the hospital and be healthy, but have you seen any cases where kids have long-term effects from being birthed? Yeah, yeah. Like developmentally? Because I, yeah. I think there have been some studies or things I've come across linking premature babies to things like autism or... I mean, that's certainly one of the things, and autism is very much a, a, a hot topic at the moment, because again, it's one of those things, I mean, there was that huge thing about all the vaccinations that right. went into it, and that study, I mean, the research field just literally abhorred that study, because it was it caused so much damage, um, in more ways than one. But ADHD, I, I think that both of those things are, it's one of the most prescribed Kids are getting medication mm-hmm. for it, so the um, the diagnosis of both yeah. are becoming more prevalent. And yes. in some cases, kids are misdiagnosed because it's such a popular diagnosis now. It is, yeah, and it's it's now it's it's building on the fact of learning how to diagnose it and what right. are the actual hallmarks. But prematurity is certainly one thing that can cause it. But again, you don't know if that is autism a genetic thing. It's, right. it's you don't know whether that predisposition is already there. And it's but, still an emerging. Yeah, research it, field it very too. much so, very much. But yeah, there certainly are long-term effects. Obviously, the more premature you are, um, the greater the risk. It's not to say that you're definitely going to get those long-term effects, but you certainly have a higher likelihood of experiencing some effects of the prematurity, whether it be chronic lung disease, uh, whether it be problems with the eyes, whether it be cerebral palsy, related to, you know, any of the brain hemorrhages that can happen. There's a lot of things that can, you know, that can happen to the babies. It seems like the more you're talking about this, uh, working with babies and NICU, it seems like everything is very case by case. It is very right. much so. Yeah. The babies very much dictate um, yeah. what they do. Obviously, you know, the pregnancy can have an impact, obviously, if things were going great through the pregnancy and it was just a spontaneous you know, premature onset of labour and the baby's been in a good condition so far, then obviously they tend to do a little bit better. But if there's been complications in the pregnancy which have had a knock-on effect on the baby, that can affect the outcome as well. But uh, I wouldn't do any other job. So I just want to remind listeners, today I'm interviewing Vanessa Young, who is the research program manager for newborn medicine at Children's Hospital. And we're discussing... Nursing, babies, tiny humans. Um, You touched on this earlier, but I'm curious, you know, you coming from the UK and receiving your training there and then transitioning from the UK health system Mm -hmm. to hear what your experience has been like. I mean, I have to say it's been a great experience. It has. I mean, uh, the position that I'm in now, I'm not saying I wouldn't have maybe followed a similar path in the UK, but I'm certainly very, very grateful to everything the US has offered me because I've had amazing experiences, not just with, you know, NICU and uh, the research I'm doing with newborn medicine, but I was lucky to work in anesthesia research as well. And 
it just opens up a whole new horizon and the fact that I was able to switch it's classed as basically switching specialties from you know from being a floor nurse to a research nurse and sometimes I think that can be quite difficult but certainly in my experience here everyone's been great and I've just been able to take advantage of the wonderful opportunities I've been given so I'm really very grateful at what the US has you know has offered me. So in the hierarchy of nurses mm -hmm. you're like top dog oh god no i mean i've, I've, I've got a management a position yeah, yeah there will be so because i've just started i mean i'm trying to you know put my feelers out to see who all the you know the different reas and like research assistants and everyone are in the group but ultimately we'll be hiring people who will be, be directly under me yeah what about um you do a lot of research stuff you publish mm -hmm. a lot mm -hmm. um what are some current projects you're working on, if you can talk about that? Um, I can certainly talk about the current projects I'm working on. Um, one of the things that we're working on at the minute is um, there's a big, um, there's a lot of interest in genetics. Mm -hmm. um, and this is in collaboration with obviously the genetics um, department. And we're looking at, um, at, children's. at children's, yes. And it's looking at um, genetic sequencing in newborns. And obviously we need to know how people process that information, both doctors and um, medical professionals, and also how parents process that information. So that's a big ongoing project because human genome research and genetic research, that's where things are going for the future. And sometimes parents might find it helpful or may not find it helpful if they know that their baby may be predisposed or maybe carrying the gene for certain medical conditions. You know, it's common for new couples when they're trying to have a baby mm -hmm. to get tested for certain things. If there's they can, yeah. if there's a disease in the family that you're testing for, mm -hmm. um, but do you think because there's so many advances being made that that's just going to be more commonplace than if someone in the family had a pre-existing condition and that's what they're screening for? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it could be, yeah, because like I say, it's definitely the way it's the way it's going, and I mean, cord blood testing, although it's 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 so prevalent now, and you've got people off offering different registries for testing your cord blood now, like stem cells. Yeah, that is yeah. that that's the same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because the stem cells are particularly percent. I mean, the, the, you know, there's been so many advances in research done right. with stem cells, and it's you know yourself, it's a huge sensitive topic, certainly with the government. Um, but that's, you know, that's now becoming more and more prevalent. Um, you can uh, you can have registries for your, for your cold blood. You can register really? your companies, yeah. Do you think that's more government, what's tension or anxiety around that in the U.S.? It's less so in the U.K.? Or there is you're, definitely like, a lot less... More um, relaxed attitudes in Europe in general about those things? There is a lot more of a relaxed attitude. Um it just seems, and this is just my personal opinion, but it seems that a lot of um, medical decisions are influenced by the government policies. or opinionated by the government. Right. There's a lot of policies in place. And it's like, you know, it's the whole thing with, you know, what women can do with their bodies. No government should be able to decide right. that. state regulated. I'm not saying that wouldn't happen in the UK. I'm not saying there's not certain politicians that would like to well, demand that. But it's a lot less likely to happen in the UK than what it is. Well, especially in light of the ruling that came down in Oklahoma this past week, uh, where 
they the state government tried to basically ban all abortions in yes. all cases. Yeah, which is a huge. It's a huge violation on your of women's rights. bodies, of yeah. women's rights. Roe v. Mm-hmm. Wade was seventy two. Yeah, I don't understand why these things are still. I know debated as hotly as they mm-hmm. are, especially in well, deep south Oklahoma. Fuck Oklahoma. <laughs> we, we do the name of the podcast is Cunt Talk. So yeah, but but I. That's another conversation. Uh, I just, I don't understand that. Um, but speaking of gender, um, I think most people, the generalization or the stereotype of nursing is that it's a female-dominated field. Mm-hmm. In movies like um, Ben Stiller, um, Meet, the meet, the par- meet, meet the Parents, and then the sequel, uh, yeah. Meet the Fockers. Yeah. Um, he's a male nurse, and yeah. that just gets poked fun at in the media. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure you've met male nurses along the way, but do you still think it's a female-dominated field? It is very much a a female-dominated profession. And do you think it's also in line with this idea that women are natural caretakers and all the bullshit that comes with that? (laughs) Well, you can take that statement either way, but two of my best friends are male nurses, um, I have to say. Are there in your, at Children's, for example, Mm -hmm. would you say that it's like a split staff? No, the it's definitely not split. It's definitely a female-dominated profession. Um, when I did my training, though, there were three male nurses in my group, and but there was only of, ten of us. Out of ten. So there was, you know, a thirty percent representation of the men. Go guys. Um, Have you seen more men entering the field since you've been here, or do you think it's like um? I don't know, US attitudes versus UK, or that's not even a thing. I don't, I don't even think that's a thing. I mean, like I say, two of my best friends um, are here in the US who are both male and um you know they're afforded exactly the same opportunities that that I am and one of them's actually um you know a nurse practitioner now um in North Carolina um so you know he's done done fantastic and um, my other friend he's been doing it a good couple of years now and you know he'll go places as well so it's certainly not an unfair distribution of work. It's very much, you know, you're a nurse. It doesn't matter if you're male or female, the same opportunities are going to be offered to you. And I don't think it's right to say that it's just women that are natural caregivers because I think men have that capability as well. Um, And certainly with my friends, it's obvious that they they do have that. But nursing is very much a I mean, I think it's a caring profession. I mean, oh, I mean definitely. Oh, no, I know that. Yeah. But it's, it's. I just do feel that nursing is a very caring profession. That's certainly why I want to do it. You know, I want to be able to care for people who can't care for themselves. And advocate for them. And advocate, yeah, absolutely. Is that a big part of your job? Mm-hmm. Because they're, they're babies. Yeah. And they can't speak for themselves. Yeah. So you speak for them. That's it. And, and babies have personalities they really do and the more you look after particularly one of the things that that's great on the uh, the units that i've worked on is they very much advocate for um primary nursing so it's a core group of nurses who look after uh, the same baby and you get to recognize that baby you get to recognize the cues you can tell when they're pissed off you can tell when they're just hungry but you can tell when they're sick as well and they have ways of telling you and you have to be able to spot those cues and try to understand what they're trying to tell you right and be able to you know advocate for them like you said in the best way possible whether that be you know with medical professionals um or with families 
So what changes have you seen in your profession in the last five years, say? A lot, actually. I've seen, certainly I've been, well, I've been a NICU nurse now for 20 years, and I've definitely seen a big difference since I first started. Um, but in, even in the last five, it's just the the technological advances now are definitely, you know, way ahead of time. And we understand better how to utilise that technology. When it's new, sometimes you don't always use it appropriately. Um, but we understand how to use it better to, in turn, affect the outcomes of, you know, the babies that we care for. Um, and, you know, prematurity before, you could have a baby born at 23, 24 weeks and you had roughly about 5% survival rate in the first week. And obviously it's still, I don't know what the exact rate is now, but because we've made so many advances and we understand better how the mechanisms work and how to use that appropriately, we can have those babies survive for longer and give them a better fighting chance than we used to be able to. So in your 20 years of being a nurse, what's one of the more extraordinary cases you've seen or dealt with hands-on? Um... I don't know, of oh, a baby wow. being born really early on and then making mm -hmm. it, you know, like you just yeah. described. Well, one of uh, the very first um, 24 weekers I looked after, I mean, they're like 18, 19 now, still in touch with the families. And that's, you know, it's it's fantastic. It's great because that's when I'm like, you know, that's, that's what makes my job worthwhile because parents get to take their babies yeah. home. You know, and that's ultimately all you can, you can all expect for and hope for and give those kids the best shot at life that they can have. Well, I think we've covered a lot here today, Vanessa. Yeah. I want to thank you for being on Kind Talk and thank you for taking care of babies and um, doing what you do. Oh, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure, Annie. Hey, Kind Talkers, stay tuned for next week's episode.